You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Hi folks and welcome to Leicester Photography episode 29. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts. Joining me today, I have an absolutely fabulous panel as always. So uh, from, I think, furthest away from me, we have Alistair Jenks from Tomorrow. Hi, Alistair. Good morning, Bart. Uh, how are you today? I'm fine, but for me, it's very much still yesterday. Or rather, it's <laughs> definitely not morning. It's, it's, it's dark outside. Uh, but good to talk to you again. I think it's been, it's been a while since we've had you on. Actually, it's been a while yes. since I've had any panel on, so that's not really a fair thing to say. Um, it's, it's been much too long since we had a normal panel show. It's, it's good to hear you again. Thank you. Uh, from the very, very, very far side of America, I think we have Mark Pauly back with us. Hi, Mark. Hello. I am from Seattle area, far side of the West Coast. Okay, great, so great to be great to be back on. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you again. And my geography does not suck entirely. Um, from the other coast, we have Antonio Rosario back with us. Hi, Antonio. Hey, Bart. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure as always. And from the best little country in the world that makes the world's best chips and the world's best beer and the world's best podcasters, we have Stefan Lesage with us. Hi, Stefan. Yeah. Well, that's a nice introduction there. <laughs> yes, it may be because I'm Belgian too. I may be slightly biased. Yeah, Belgium but you're right. Good, Belgium has pretty good beer and chocolates too, as I recall. And uh, we oh, have, yeah, uh, yeah you, you call them chips, but normally in, in America they call them the French fries, but it's actually oh, yeah. from yeah. Belgium. And we have waffles. Oh, we have a oh, right. I'm so hungry now. <laughs> Actually, I was hungry anyway because I haven't had dinner yet, but now I'm very hungry. Anyway, the topic I've picked for this show is video because, well, I'm going to ask Antonio something in a minute, but basically video came into my radar and I suddenly realized I have been doing a photography podcast for over two years and we have never talked about video and that is an absolutely spectacular oversight. So I thought we should do a show all about it. Now, why did this come into my peripheral vision well the answer is because someone i know got nominated for an emmy so antonio what's going on okay let's just well we're going to clear the air a little bit Uh, a film that i'm the subject of got nominated for an emmy that's even cooler yeah uh i work for a company called uh, brick which is a public um arts organization in brooklyn Mm -hmm. and last i think it was april Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the guys I work with uh, named Justin Bryant, he's a producer there. He started to do a new series of short documentaries about photographers. The whole the whole place is also about a lot of short um, style video stories. Hmm. So he wanted to do one about photographers and he figured to use me as the first test subject. So because he likes my street photography. So one of the days we went out with um, him and my friend who's a camera operator, Brad Hecht, and did some shooting in my neighborhood while I was walking around taking street pictures and we did an interview about my street photography. Anyway, that got put up on – it got shown on our public access channel and it's been up on YouTube for a while and just – excuse me, I don't know when they – they ask for nominations, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, entries for the nominations for the Emmy Awards. Uh, but someone put it in. I think he actually, Justin might have put it in. Um, and it got nominated for uh, a New York Emmy 
uh, in the arts news section. Um, so I guess I, I don't really know a lot about Emmys. I know they're the big Emmys that you get for all the television shows. And then I think there are a lot of local Emmy awards. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so sense. this one is part of the New York state. I mean, there might be one for every state. I don't know. I haven't, like I said, I haven't looked it up yet. Hmm. But uh, we are, our network got 13 nominations, which was up from zero last year. That's so a pretty sort of, good increase. Yeah, it is. A shout out to everybody uh, I work with at Brick, um, especially my, my buddy Chris, who got two nominations, Chris Raditz. Uh, wow. But uh, Justin put it in, and it got nominated in the arts news section, and I think we find out in May whether or not we uh, win. So, cool. you know, Justin and, and Justin is the producer, Brad was the shooter, and I'm the talent, as it were. Uh, cool. But I get to share in the... Uh, <laughs> Well, if you didn't it. say anything interesting, the video couldn't have been any good. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the Wait, thing my, that's really my, fun my about that. are popping off my head as it expands. No, I think it's cool. The thing that's really fun about that, Antonio, is when they announce the name of the, uh, the, name of the movie, it's your name. It's great. <laughs> that was, yeah, they, when they were announcing it, the woman was like, and, you know, in the arts and news, Antonio Rosario, photographer, BRICTV. And I'm like, <laughs> What? Actually, the, the funny thing was last week uh, where I work in a studio, we have a glass wall that, that goes out into a, uh, an open lobby. Um, and Justin, he's pounding. He comes in and he's pounding on the glass. And I can't hear him because the glass is, is soundproof. Yeah. And I thought he was doing the, the scene from The Graduate when uh, Dustin Hoffman is banging on the glass yeah. saying, Elaine, Elaine. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? And, and he, he, he's mouthing things. I'm like, come on in. And so he runs into the studio and he and he uh, gives me a bear hug. Um, Justin's a big guy, and he like he's crushing. I'm like, what? What? He's like, we want to get an Emmy. I'm like, excuse me. He's like, I'm ready for an Emmy. I'm like, like that didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> I don't understand. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. Well, that's uh, cool. Yeah, it is cool. It is. It's nice to be uh, part of that. I don't know process. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I guess something else. So you, you've been on here loads of times, and I love the fact that you keep going back. And you've been talking about photography, but you sort of mentioned in passing that you have a day job that isn't photography. And I guess we can say that your day job involves that have a lot more moving pictures. It does. It does. And even if I wasn't working a day job, I would probably been including video as part of my thing that I do uh, in general. Yeah. Um, I've always, I've actually kind of always been in video and film. Um, and it, Photography is just the thing I do when I'm not doing video and film. <laughs> not really, but yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've been involved in, in moving, how do you say it, moving pictures for a long time. But, and I guess one of the reasons I think this is a very suitable topic for this show is because I remember when I was a kid, there were camera cameras and there were video cameras and the two were never, ever, ever the same thing. But nowadays, for a start, most of most pictures in the world are taken on camera phones, and camera phones are perfectly happy to take videos as well as stills. And even our DSLR cameras nowadays, most of them can do video as well. So that line between video camera and still camera is completely and utterly mushed into nothingness. So all of us who have the ability to shoot photographs, also whether we use it or not, have the option to take video too. Yeah, and it's been like that for a while, actually. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the. I, you know, thinking that the technology for our DSLRs pretty much came from the video industry in the first place, using the same kind of sensors or similar sensors. 
Yeah, so instead of having to deal with film that's whooshing by, you just grab some snaps out of the, the, the this digital sensor and save it into a file. It's much right. more efficient. Remember, remember, film is just 24 pictures a second. <laughs> yeah. 30 pictures a second. Actually, why, is 30, why are our 35 millimeter cameras 35 millimeters? Because 35 millimeters is half the frame for a movie. Isn't it a two 35 millimeter photo frames make up one cell in a motion picture? Isn't that how we got that size? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Something to do with mounting it sideways because it goes up and down through a film camera, but it goes side to side through a 35 right. mil the, camera. The, the film that you were photographing using your still cameras way back when, the frame is larger than, than the 35 millimeter frame that was used for film because yeah. of the direction of the, the way they the film's put going. the film through. Yeah. Anyway, so let's just start simply by figuring out where we all stand on this. So I'm just going to go through the panel and just ask people how much or how little film we actually shoot or video we actually shoot with that camera. So, Alistair, how, how much video do you do and what do you do with it? Well, that's a funny question because if you'd asked me, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I would have said I take the occasional one on my iPhone. But I was looking through my photos app the other day and I've got like 50 videos on there. So I guess oh, wow. I take it more often. Um, but I don't think I actually do anything with them. Like I just think, oh, that would, that could be an interesting video and I shoot it and then nothing happens with it. And with my DSLR, yes, it can do video, but it has significant limitations on it, shall we, shall we say. Yeah. Um, like you pretty much have to do manual focus. You have to trust the aperture if you set it to auto. Um the sound's not great, etc. It's very limited in what it can record. So I've never really done that other than a, a single experiment. And I did go through a rather expensive um, exercise of buying a dedicated video camera and buying Final Cut Pro and discovering that I can't shoot with modern cameras. Oh. Yeah. So I sold the camera. I still have Final Cut, obviously. Um, but I... I don't. I, I suppose I could use a DSLR uh, if it had enough capability, but mine doesn't. Right. But for a, a video camera, I need something that rests on my hand and shoulder for stability. Ah, so the good old over-the-shoulder jubbies from years ago. Yeah, because I did have a, a a camera that took a full-size VHS tape to record. <laughs> And I did some great stuff with that many, many years ago, but um, I think I need to get back to that size, and that starts getting kind of expensive. True. Mark, what's your relationship to video? So I I would say that I have um, really just done a limited amount uh, within the last couple of years, started to try to mix it in with my uh, landscape and nature photography, particularly when I'm on vacation and have a lot more time on the lakes. So I try to work that in. Um, so I guess I would say that t today I will play the part of Allison Sheridan and have lots of important questions because I, I really want to integrate it more. I know that I have a, a great camera both on my iPhone and on my DSLR and I'm just not using it much. Hmm. So I'd, I'd really like to learn to integrate that more. But over the last two years, I've done a little bit of it and, and think that I've you know, I've learned along the way and certainly can pass that along. Cool. Stefan? Well, I have been doing video, but most of the time it has been with a dedicated uh, video camera. I know I can shoot video with a DSLR too, but uh, as uh, other people already mentioned, there are some uh, limitations like like the autofocus. So you have to focus manually. Mm -hmm. Also, the, the sound... Uh, 
but uh, most of the time I've, I've been uh, doing it with a dedicated camera. I did try with a DSLR, and it's perfect for uh, for um, how should you say a backup recording or, or a second camera, a second angle f- uh, f- from something. But uh, I haven't really used it as a main video device yet. Now, when we were talking to you in December about drones, obviously one of the types of video camera you use are the little GoPros and things like that. So yeah. do you work with other, like, you know, when you say you have dedicated video cameras, yeah, I have GoPros a, and what else? Yeah, it's uh, one of those Canon XA10 uh, digital video cameras. Pretty nice, uh, pretty nice device. Um, Antonio, I guess I should ask you the question too, because yeah, we we know that they did an Emmy about you, but you know, what is your actual? What do you actually do with video? Uh, I shoot, I shoot actually a lot of stuff on DSLR. Um, some of the limitations that everybody's talking about have are found ways to overcome those. Hmm. Um, my main day gig that I shoot, I shoot a television show that's a live show, uh, four days a week, and then a music show, one one day a week that's live. I use Studio television cameras, um, they're Hitachis. I don't know what the model numbers are. <clears throat> but I'm often using those or uh, Sony EX3s, which are over-the-shoulder cameras, uh, heavy-duty um, uh, electronic news-gathering-style cameras. Uh, occasionally I've used the, the newer, not the new one, the uh, Canon C300s, which are dedicated Video cameras built by Canon based uh, somewhat on, on their DSLR technology. I guess they decided to move from DSLR to something that's more of a form factor for doing video. Um, but there's a lot of the same components uh, in the in the Canon C300s. And then I use my Nikon – right now I have a D7000, which is a great still camera and a pretty capable video camera. It's some, somewhat limited, um, yeah. but uh, I use it um, – uh, and then you know I've used my Fuji uh, X100T for video. It's not it's not the greatest video camera, but it's it's worked pretty well. And then my iPhone as well. Um, so, and I and I, Alistair was talking about like uh, having purchased a video camera once, and I I did that a while back. Uh, I think after the iMac came out, the original iMac, I started to do, do video, and I bought a lot of Canon equipment, uh, video, dedicated video cameras, and then um, I wasn't able to really make a living at it uh so i sold a lot of that stuff uh, i went back to stills but now you know stills include video i mean the the cameras are uh are video capable so i don't have to actually have separate video equipment cool yeah and in terms of actually in terms of like you, you do you your data involves a lot of holding the camera but do you do a lot of editing as well or is it just capturing uh my again through my job, I do more capturing than editing. Um, I, I do my own projects on the side, in which I do my own editing, probably through mostly through Final Cut. I mean, I I have Premiere, but mostly through Final Cut Pro. Um, I'm not an editor. It's like one of those things I'm still, you know, learning a lot about. Um, there there's still a lot of nuances in in doing video editing that I'm still working on. But uh, I I love editing. Editing yeah. is uh, – I actually like that in a sense more than the actual filming. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, yeah. Okay, and I guess I should probably say that. So my relationship video is I don't do a lot of it. Um, generally do it when I want to – to be honest, mainly it's it's my love of capturing steam trains. This is why I decided to start shooting video. So I go out with a still camera and capture the pretty steam trains and they make nice photographs. But – 
you never quite got the sense that these are living, breathing things from a still picture. So that's why I started to want to take video. And I think I started, like, you know, an iPhone and a tripod. And I was, you know, it wasn't great. And then a GoPro. And then eventually a digital SLR. And then I think I bought a little hot shoe mic so you get nicer sound. And so ultimately, I've just all been about capturing the essence of the, the steam trains and stuff. So I don't shoot a lot of it. But what I do is mostly to the DSLR now and the GoPro. And then again, like everyone else seems to have said, Final Cut Pro to tie it all together. And it seems that we all like Final Cut Pro. This thing you say about you know the steam trains being the what you want to capture the the essence of with video. Mm. In my case, it's it's aircraft, but that's where the limitations of DSLRs come in because, <laughs> I mean, my years as a as a thirty five millimeter DSLR user have proven. Um, beyond a doubt that my focusing skills are rubbish um, you know, and that's just trying to capture it at one moment in time let alone you know, with, a, with a fast pass of an aircraft that's quite close and the focus will change from infinity to probably mid-range and back to infinity again while controlling the zoom and yeah and panning and... well you know, the panning I can do that, that's a skill I have but, but throwing that in with um, you know as the aircraft approaches, I will rake the zoom to where I know I need it to be yeah. so that when it gets to the right angle, I take the shot and it'll be in the frame. But that's not the same with video. With video, it's got to be right sort of the whole time. Otherwise, it looks dumb. Hmm. So, yeah, it's yeah limitations and, and autofocus is, is the minimum that I need and none of the DSLRs I've had can do it. Yeah, which is an inherent weakness in the DSLR design because it wasn't designed to be a video camera, I guess. No, and I mean, the manual says um, if you're recording sound, camera operation sounds will be on the video. So you can, I think that's part of why they don't give you autofocus because it, it tends to be, depending on the lens uh, type, a noisy operation. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the nice things, actually. So I bought from Nikon the little Hachu mic for my Nikon. And when you use the Hachu mic instead of the built-in mic, you don't get any of that hearing the whirring and spinning of the various motors and things inside your camera. Right. That's all nicely isolated out when you use the, the proper mic, which is a really nice touch. Yeah, yeah. I, I bought uh, such an, uh, a Hachu uh, camera uh, mic for uh, my DSLR too. And uh, the sound is a lot better already with that uh, compared to the uh, internal microphone on my uh, Canon uh, yeah. DSLR. It's it's also quite focused, so the the, yeah. the mic picks up stuff straight ahead of the camera. Uh, arguably, perhaps not a wide enough field of view, because I tend to like having a, a nice wide field of view. Be, I'll actually explain why I have a nice field of view, and I'm doing video in a minute. But it's actually kind of weird sometimes on some of the steam train shots, because they're already in the shot, but you hear very little noise. And then they come into the, the cone of the microphone, and then you can hear... And then they come out of the cone of the microphone, but they're still in the shot, which is slightly annoying. If I'd like it to be slightly wider. But it's really good at cutting out the noise behind it. So if, mm-hmm. if I'm shooting stills behind it, I'm not catching too much of the ka-chink-ka-chink from the camera and stuff. So it definitely does help a lot to spend the extra money on, on the mic. My old um, VHS video camera had a a zoom mic on it that you could slave to the lens. I'd only had three settings. Oh. <laughs> you know, it had standard, narrow, and wide, but you could set it so that as you pulled the lens wide, the microphone would go wide as well. It, mm-hmm. it didn't sound perfect, but it was it was functional, I suppose. That's pretty cool. That's a great idea. You know, mm. So when I'm picture me standing out in the field, right? <laughs> so there is a steam train due. I know what time it's due at. 
20 minutes to half an hour before I arrive. On my, I, I cycle there because I'm often going mountain biking through fields and stuff. So I arrive with a backpack and out of my backpack I pull at least two, often three tripods. Um, my DSLR, my other DSLR, my GoPro, my iPhone. <laughs> um, and sometimes two GoPros. Uh, so I try to get some of the GoPros on or near the track bed. Uh, try to get another GoPro set up somewhere with a better view. Get the DSLR set up on a tripod with a wide angle lens. At least 18mm if not wider. Good mic on that. Maybe if there's an appropriate place, the iPhone on a little um, little Joby pods. You know the ones you can make stick to anything. Yeah. And then I stand there with my other DSLR taking stills. But that means I can't actually move the camera or, or camera... Zzz, while taking the stills, because to me it's still about the photograph at the end of the day. So what I end up doing is I shoot really wide because the camera can go at 1080p and everything I publish to YouTube is 720p, which means I can use um, Final Cut Pro's uh, zoom in, zoom out and sort of stuff feature. So they, it allows you to do a freeform transform um, so I can basically move around inside the fixed frame and then cut between the three different sources and you get the impression that I have actually done camera, you know, that I've learned to pan really smoothly and you get to change your point of view and stuff, but actually everything is just completely still and I just say, go, and then I try to do all the edit in, you know, afterwards. But again, if you had a proper team of people, you could do a much better job of capturing stuff. That's what I like about editing is that you can do so much manipulation of time and the way things are shot and and sort of fool people into thinking one thing um, when you're actually doing something else. Because one of the funnest things is I now have a good GoPro and one that I don't want to lose, but if I do lose it, I don't really care. So I have a GoPro 1 and a GoPro 2. And so what I started doing with the GoPro 1 is actually putting it on, you know, like it comes with a little flat thing that you can screw the GoPro to. Well, put that on the ballast next to the track and throw a bit of heavy gravel on it so it doesn't fly away when the train whooshes by. And actually have that shot to cut to, cut to between wide-angle view and stuff like that. But it's a really fun view because it's this wide angle and the train just comes right over you. But as I say, one of these days, Augusta Wind is going to lift that GoPro up. It's going to go between the wheels and that'll be the end of that GoPro. But in the meantime, I'm getting very fun footage out of it that way. Oh, go on. Put it between the rails. <laughs> to do... All right. So far, I have not yet trespassed on Irish Rail property to get these videos because there's a wall I can stand on that allows me to put it next to the track. But if I want to get it between the rails, I'd have to trespass. And I'm not entirely sure if I want to put that on YouTube. <laughs> Well, you're you're missing a drone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So you don't have to trespass, and you can still shoot it from close up. Oh, that would do the trick, actually. Yeah. Or I could go to a level crossing, put it down, yeah. walk away, yeah. and hope no cars come because they'll run over it too. <laughs> um, but yeah, a drone well, would be spectacularly cool. If well, I had a drone, a drone a point of view compared to putting the camera on the tracks point of view um, tells two different kinds of stories. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I mean, not, you know, if you're just out to try to capture this thing, you know, this train coming by, it's one thing. But if you're trying to tell a story, um, it's a, kind of the same thing with photography. The the lenses and the point of view are part of the story that you're trying yes. to tell. Yeah. So it's something to, to really pay attention to when you're shooting video. I mean, there's so many more, it's so much more complex to, to do video than it is to do still photography because there's so many, I mean, you're thinking in, well, I hate to say three dimensions is not the right thing, but you know you have now you well, have the you dimension are. of time. To, yeah, to, time yeah. is the third dimension in this case. Yeah, 
Although, I'm not talking 3D, but... With video, even, you have much more of a feel of the real third dimension, so maybe you're dealing with four, because as time mm-hmm. goes by, things move in and out of the Z-axis in the same shot. You know, the, the same video shot has three dimensions of data in it, because as, as things move, they go nearer, further away, left, right, up, and down. And yeah, there's time true. going on. Yeah. So, But no, it's... Yeah. I would actually. So you mentioned the storytelling. So the reason I bring so many cameras is because that's the only way I can do sort of storytelling. So I'll always choose a location that has a pretty, that looks pretty at a wide angle. So a churchyard or an old building, something to give a nice big picture view. So the idea is you have a wide angle shot. You see the train within a landscape. There's you know rolling Irish countryside, beautiful canal, something. There's some sort of setting and you definitely want to capture the setting because otherwise it's not you're not telling the story about this train on this journey through this landscape you got to get the wider angle but if you do that even though you can crop in to half size by shooting at 1080 and publishing at 720 that's not enough to get the close-up view as well so you need another camera for that and that tells part of the story but then you have the train coming passing you by and then vanishing off into the distance so you need another camera pointed the other way because you want to catch that bit of the story so like you say, because you're trying to tell a full picture, you actually need a lot of different shots so you then can go into Final Cut and start slicing over and back between and maybe taking... So I have lots of cameras, but I only ever use the sound from the nice mic. So I'm I, I'm allowing the sound to continue over the clips from the other cameras, even though the video from the camera that had the sound isn't in front anymore. Mm-hmm. Actually, there we go. Sound. There's another whole thing. That's a fifth dimension. <laughs> five dimensions, I'm telling you people. Five dimensions. Well, given my my experience with video, uh, for for those people who are trying to get into this for the first time, I would say spend money and buy yourself a microphone, and even better, buy yourself a an external recorder, uh, mm-hmm. and record the best sound possible because you can yeah. you can get away with the crappiest video quality possible, and if you have crappy sound people are going to ignore it. But if you have crappy video and you have really good sound, uh, you can get away with it. Yeah, so, I agree. Uh, yeah. Sound is sound is one of the most important things uh, on a production uh, that yeah. you can have. Um, not downplaying, you know, you want to take good pictures. Yes. But if, you're, if sound is important to you, uh, then you need to record the best sound possible. So that's a good place to spend money. Because sound equipment is actually not cheap. <laughs> no, no just, none of this is. That's the problem. Well, none of it is. But but with with uh, with sound equipment, generally, the more money you spend, the better quality you get. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. That's that's a general principle. So if you have a microphone for a hundred dollars, you have a microphone you get by for three hundred dollars, and you can afford the three hundred dollars, buy the three hundred dollar microphone. It's going to be much better than the one hundred dollar microphone. That's also one of the reasons why I'm I'm still shooting with my dedicated video camera because uh, it has a two XLR uh, microphone inputs. Well, you can two inputs for XLR, and you can connect a, a, a microphone, two microphones to it, which is yeah, which is a lot better. You can uh, I, I often I often use it when I'm in interviewing people. One uh, microphone in front of the people or I hold it in my hand so I can switch between me and the interviewee and the other stays on the camera which picks up uh, a broader uh, range of audio from uh, yeah more ambient uh, sounds and it's easy to combine those two in, in fact. That's actually one of the nice things that Final Cut Pro is pretty good at. When you say it would automatically Syncing, sync yeah. audio it's yeah. usually quite correct. Yes it is. 
one of the things that I've done to to try because I don't have a dedicated microphone that I put on my camera. It's it's probably something I will invest in someday. But when I learned that I didn't really like the audio coming off the DSLR, I would use my iPhone that gets really pretty good audio on doing the video work and uh, just mix that into the the video when I do the editing. So I a lot of times I'm using the audio that came off the phone, but the video that came off the camera. Yeah, like the GoPro is particularly awful at sound. Like maybe the newer GoPros are better, but certainly the GoPro One and GoPro Two are particularly terrible at sound. So I'll generally well, they're, they're drag the audio to, they're out. They're not to meant zero. to capture sound, really. No, they have a microphone. It's a token microphone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mostly you have a token microphone so that there is some reference sound that's attached with the video that you're shooting. Yes. And then, like you were talking about using Final Cut, or you can use it also in Premiere Pro, and uh, uh, you can buy extra software called Pluralize, which will help you synchronize sound. The the if you have sound attached to your video. Um, it doesn't have to be the best sound if you're recording separate sound, but it's useful for when it comes time to synchronize the sound. Yeah. Um, that's why a lot, I think a lot of these cameras just, I mean, they have a token microphone and sometimes they're not too bad, but they're often there so that, uh, you have some sort of reference sound attached to the video itself. Which then allows the video to be synchronized with the other videos you have. Yeah, And then you exactly. don't lose the sound. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you don't, it's one of the things when you start playing around with Final Cut Pro is you start to realize that you can, you know, you can have multiple, you can stack the video tracks in all sorts of different ways, but you can also do all that same sort of carry on with the different soundtracks from the different video tracks. And you can ask Final Cut Pro to split the sound away from the video so you can edit the two of them separately, even though they came from the one file. And by the time you're done, your edits can be, your magnetic timeline can have many, many layers in it, but it's, it works pretty darn well, actually. I think there's a lot of people out there who are not very happy with Final Cut Pro. Where are these people and why not? <laughs> well, there's a lot of old school uh, editors or people who are, are trained in old school editing with uh, other nonlinear editors like the previous version of Final Cut and mm. Premiere and Avid, um, which uh, uses a certain style of editing. And, and Apple decided to do something sort of totally different. Um, and there are people who don't like that. Uh, I actually, actually, I'm one of the people who do like it a lot. I, I took to Final Cut Pro very fast. Yeah. Um, so Apple's idea, what, Apple's original theory, and I guess to some extent, what they've done is they they first tried out this idea in good old iMovie. God bless its little cotton socks. Um, so imagine you have two video clips and you have a title attached to them, and then you take a clip out between them. In Apple's case, it's like they're made of magnets, and whatever is left just goes k-dunk and connects itself up together again and any titles you had up move with the content they're connected to by a little line you see in the interface and everything just sort of rearranges itself and if you similarly want to inject a clip you drop it in the middle and everything moves out of the way and all the little lines show what's connected to what and your titles and your fades and everything move with it and to me as someone with absolutely no prior knowledge of editing whatsoever apple's way is like infinitely like totally sensible totally sane totally what i want but I understand that it's f- completely different to how people have spent 50 years editing stuff. Uh-huh. Well, I, guess, I guess actual film stock doesn't tend to just jump across the table when you cut it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, unless you stick actual <laughs> magnets to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a very good point. Yeah, it, it, it's no longer like having a, a table with a knife and some sellotape. Yeah. 
Um, the other thing you can do with sound, by the way, is, uh, well, I was going to say cheat, but it's not cheating. The one video that I actually published and spent some time on rather than just, oh, look, here it is, was um, just a totally random encounter. I was uh, in Sydney actually meeting up with uh, Alison Sheridan and Steve Sheridan. Mm -hmm. And I was just wandering around the city uh, the day before they arrived and I came across a busker who sounded fantastic. He was just playing a guitar, but he was playing it beautifully. And for whatever reason, I just stopped and pulled out my then brand new iPhone 5 and videoed him. And most of the time I just sat there and it was in a, a pedestrian um, street. You know, there's, there's no traffic there. So there's just this, this wide plaza of people walking past with this guy playing the music. And as I said before, you know, I, I often just shoot random videos and do nothing with them. And that day and, and probably other days when I was in Sydney, I was just shooting random stuff of, oh, look, there's the monorail and there's a boat or I'm on a boat or stuff like that. And so what I did is I, I purchased this man's CD from him uh, when he finished playing and I've cut together him playing at the start of the song and him playing at the end of the song and interposed that with all of the, the useful footage I've got of the rest of Sydney uh -huh. and I've then put the CD track over the middle section so it starts with him live, it ends with him live and it took me quite a while to actually match up the two tracks because, of course, a live version versus a studio version can be somewhat different. Yeah. But the the sound from the iPhone in the pedestrian mall of a guy playing a guitar with an amp and a speaker was actually pretty good. But the sound of me standing on a boat was pretty, pretty awful. <laughs> well, I mean, there was a sort of an atmospheric sound, and I let that come through in the video. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the monorail going past makes... You know, monorail sounds. Sure. Um, and so that's still there. But just by themselves, that video would have been boring as heck from an audio perspective. But because I've run the song through the whole thing, and that's kind of the, uh, it carries the whole thing. So I haven't had to worry too much about sound except for the two bits where I knew it was going to be good because there's a guy with an amplifier and speaker there. So, you know, he's, he's pumping out the sound and I just have to pick it up. Alistair, can I ask you a question? Sure. Did you get. Uh, permission to use his music in your video? Yep, I had a chat with him uh, afterwards. Yep. Yeah, that's an important yeah. point. <laughs> I wanted to throw yes. that in. Yeah, <laughs> because so many people are, are 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 tend to just grab music off the internet uh, and throw it in their videos. And for those people who've tried to grab a famous song and put it in, you know, on a video and then stick it on YouTube, people have probably noticed that YouTube does not allow a lot of that to happen. Well, it's not because YouTube want to not allow it. It's because the people what own the music want to have told YouTube that they are not to allow it. Yeah, well. But yeah, the end result some, is the same. Sometimes they haven't even done that and they take it down. But anyway, that's another yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I had a chat with him afterwards and said, do you mind if I post this? And he said, no, let's go for it. And, um, and you know, I, I take it um, upon myself, you know, to promote him as much as I can. So he's he's credited on the video. And every time I posted it anywhere, I made sure to put his uh, his website on there. Actually, do you have a link for the show notes so we'll publicize this video a bit more? Yep. Get the views above. What's it up to now? Not many. Don't know where to see the views on uh, Vimeo. Anyway. Yes, anyway. Uh, actually, so you, you raise an interesting point by bringing music in because that was another thing I wanted to throw in. So 
as I've been poking around with, you know, playing with video to capture these steam trains over many years, I've been, you know, trying to make videos that people find less boring. And so initially, my videos were very boring. And one of the reasons they were very boring is because I just had live sound. And that really bores the pants off people. So that then got me going, okay, so I need music. Okay, then. What music? Well, I can use the... Uh, jingles that come free with or not free with that you have paid for along with final cut pro and so you poke around in those and you, you find one or two you like and you use them and then you very soon say well i can't keep using this one i used that one last time and the time before and the time before that so i've actually found the last couple of times i've done videos i have spent four hours hunting around for creative commons music that has the right emotion the right feel the right cadence to match a steam train that needs to have a certain amount of energy and you know Instead of editing my video. Um, but it, I actually found that it was worth spending those four hours poking around on the internet looking for a Creative Commons video with the right mood, the right tone, the right everything. Anyone have any tips for how I might spend a bit less but still get good results? Uh, I was going to say, no. Uh, in fact, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy that you spent that much time to look for music because uh, every time I've edited a piece... The music uh, that I've used or when I've used music on a piece, it's been the most important thing Yeah, uh, that I've been – for me. Um, yeah. To me, music, is, it helps bring emotion uh, to the piece. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that it took you only four hours to find something that fit the emotion of your piece, I'm surprised. It usually takes me a lot longer. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so my approach was I found a website called Jamendo, which allows you to search by, like, keywords. And so I had decided I wanted something that sounded Irish but didn't sound like diddly eye die, didn't sound Hollywood Irish, sounded actually Irish. And that was no vocals and that had a sort of a, an instrument that sounded like a, like a train, sort of a, with a good beat to it. So basically I ended up searching for guitar and piano music from Irish artists that didn't sound too Irish. And that's what it took me four hours to find. But because Jamendo let me search, I at least had some sort of chance. I just uh, sent you a link to the Free Music Archive, which is uh, a pretty good place to look for music uh, to use in your piece. And, and the, when it says Free Music Archive, mm -hmm. meaning that you don't have to pay for it, but there are still stipulations for using yes. the music. A lot of them are things of like adding credits to your piece that says where the music came from or you email the person to ask for permission um, there's a lot of different, uh, I don't want to say restrictions, but, you know, instructions on the songs and the songwriter, um, music, uh, producers there, but it's a really good place to start. And I found some really great music there and it just required me to put, you know, I could use the song and just put the guy's name up on, you know, the credits. Um, and you know, I wasn't using it for commercial work. I wasn't selling it. So it was, uh, it was perfectly useful. Yeah, um, and so again, but, with with Jamendo, each of the music, everything in there has a license associated with it, and so you can filter by license. And I generally end up with Creative Commons Attribution, which means that at the end of the video, you need to have a credit section, which kind of makes your video look more professional anyway if you have someone to thank at the end. Because <laughs> real video has credits. <laughs> so if your video has to have credits, that does make it look slightly better. But yeah, so you stick camera. into the end, music by blah, 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 blah link, etc. Yeah, you could have camera operator one, Bart Bishots, camera operator two, Bart Bishots, camera <laughs> operator three. Yeah, I'm not sure that would make it look better. <laughs> um, I, 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 can, I can give, 
I give you sort of a tip, but it's not really. Um, if you have been a music podcaster for four or five years, that helps. Um, uh-huh. Because producing a podcast with lots of music in it means you kind of got to find lots of music. And from about 2006 to, I guess, 2010, really, um, I was doing that weekly. And I collected, I think it was about 900 songs that I thought were good. Mm-hmm. And they all come with, um, depending on where you get them from, slightly different licenses. But one of the sites I used to get them from, the license was pretty free. It's basically, you know, credit them and you are supposed to report back to the site that uh, you've used it, which is pretty straightforward to do. Um, so I've got this massive collection of music that I can use. And I did that on one other um, just simple video. I, I was mucking around with a flight simulator and I noticed it had a record feature so I just hopped in a, a hot fighter jet and just blasted around the landscape doing crazy stuff and, and videoed it and then I just stuck a piece of um, what they used to term pod safe music uh, behind it and credited it at the end job done so you know I mean I've got a library of stuff that I know I like and I can just go through it and quickly sample it but um, there are other sites out there that do um, this kind of thing it's I don't know about music podcasting. It seems to be fading away now. So the the sites that support this aren't as big as they used to be. But it's yeah, there are a lot of sites you can go and and get the right um, licenses to use the music. And the thing you're saying about using the stuff that comes with Final Cut, a lot of it is the same stuff that comes with um, Garage Band, Garage Band, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, the iLife Suite. And you're right that there comes a point where you can't use any of that because I've been sitting in front of the television waiting for the 6pm news to come on and there's a fishing show on and the end credits roll and I can say, oh, that was made on a Mac because I recognise the jingles that are at the end. Well, the other thing I notice is the amount of jingles I can't use because they remind me of a podcast. Yep, that, that's a lot of people really well. just take a jingle and make it your tune? <laughs> When when I did it, I cheated. I I contacted Steve Sheridan, who does a lot of video work, and he had some music that he had rights to and and let me use. And then, uh, but then he pointed me, and it would be a lot more useful being on a podcast and talking about this if I could remember the name of the sites. But there's a number of sites out there. If you search, they you can specify what you're looking for. You can kind of type in the mood that you want or maybe the primary instrument that you want. And um, so I did that. I've done some of that exploring and, and that works pretty well. So it it takes some effort, but uh, it's definitely worth it, um, particularly if you're for some of the things that I've done where like, I, you know, videotaping birds or something and where they aren't necessarily making much noise. It's really nice to have the have a little little tune or something going in the background so it really i think it improves the video a lot and and it with a little bit of searching you can find something that'll go well and as antonio said it's worth the effort oh it really is it absolutely is because one of the the most sorry sorry one of the most amazing pieces of video work that i've seen recently that that really moves me and I i think i sent you a link to this part when i first saw it there is a a television advertisement on that's just been coming on again recently and it is for the um, New Zealand long-distance trains. Mm-hmm. And they've obviously 
filmed from helicopters and they've got these massive vistas of some of the most amazing parts of our landscape with a train rolling through the middle and they've got this orchestral music behind it. Now, I don't know what the music is, but man, does that make an impression on me because that <laughs> music is just so majestic and you know, with the landscape and this train going through the middle, it just makes you just you know, want to go buy a ticket right now. Cool. If you happen to find that well, before I do the show notes, send it along and I'll stick it in as well. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. I, I imagine it is because most, almost everything is somewhere. What I was going to say is that uh, sometimes I spend a chunk of time going through the music sites, uh, even before I have a project, uh, bookmarking mm. or downloading uh, samples and, and, and storing them and just making notes so that I have already a, a selection of stuff to go to when a, when a project comes up so I don't necessarily have to spend the you know, four hours yeah. looking for music. I mean, I might have to because the piece might require music that I haven't He didn't know, anticipate. Yeah. But I find myself easier to be in a music frame of mind uh, and go through these sites and, and bookmark and, and keep notes about stuff ahead of time. Yeah, I find myself doing that from time to time as well. Um, so I have thankfully now got a bit of a library built up of stuff I like. Um, I think I knew I was going to be doing the Christmas special theme trains. So I was like, well, I ain't going to need Christmassy music. That's pretty obvious. But I don't want it to sound Christmassy, um, which is a very silly rule to say yourself. I want Christmas music that doesn't sound Christmassy. Um, I think that might have taken me more than four hours. But I did eventually find an artist who did really cool solo guitar versions of Christmas songs. And that was Creative Commons. So then I spent a while picking out my favorites and safely putting them away in a little folder called Christmas Background Music. Yeah, definitely worth it. From time to time, I also uh, buy some, if it has to be uh, music for a, a production, a little video, I sometimes buy my music at uh, sites like Premium Beats, where you can uh, buy a song for, I think, about $40, $40. And you even have uh, have the song cut up in, in loops, so you can combine the loops to make your own uh, uh, duration of, of the song. Mm-hmm. It works um, out quite nicely. So you buy that license once for $40 or whatever, and then you have the right to keep using that forever or for one yes, project? Do. Or how does that work? You can use it uh, for as many times as you want. That's, okay, so $40 sounds expensive until it's forever, and that doesn't sound so bad. Yeah. Cool. But it's, of course, for every song you use, it will cost you $40, huh? True. Yeah, and I guess a lot of the Creative Commons stuff, the licensing conditions will be not for commercial use. So if you're making yep. a video that you're charging someone for, then all of a sudden... Your options really dwindle quickly. Yeah, and you can uh, you can even use them for commercial use. Yes, because you've paid for them. Yeah. 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 I guess you can pass the price on to the customer of the video. You could. You could. Or at least there part is, of it. Yeah. There are also some uh, some more advanced licensing, like for example, uh, with permission for television and and radios and then films, but those cost uh, a little bit more, I believe. A few zeros after the forty. Uh, I can't remember how much it is, but uh, it could be that it was uh, about one hundred or two hundred fifty dollar uh, for television and radio uh, things, mm-hmm. which isn't all that expensive if you if you have a television show and you need some music. Yes, assuming it's a successful television show. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> cool. Um, another thing I discovered. So to some extent, I'm sort of going through the, how, I've dis- how I've discovered making my videos less awful. 
which is actually a fun experiment to do, right? If you go to my YouTube channel and start at the back, and you will see just how awful my videos used to be, and then if you skip to the front, you'll find they're less awful. I'm by no means an expert on any of this stuff, but they're definitely less awful. And so one of the things was never having the the view stay still too long, so hence all this uh, cropping and zooming within the 1080p and giving it out at 720p. That makes a big difference, because then I can have nice smooth pans without doing it myself. And then the other thing that made a big difference was music, and the last thing that made a big difference that I really was hoping wouldn't, because I hate reading out loud, was a voiceover. Because sometimes you just can't beat a voiceover. And I went out of my way to avoid it by having, like, like a la silent movies, having little text boxes come up to say what's going on. You know something, it doesn't work. And I, I'm really bad at reading out loud. So I hated it, and Alison Sheridan just kept saying to me, no, you need to start doing voiceovers on your videos. I was like, no, you're wrong, Alison, you're wrong. But she was right. <laughs> Anyone have to tell her that? <laughs> I just did, because she listens. <laughs> Don't. Any suggestions on how to go about that, or people think I'm right or wrong? Or any any thoughts? You're probably right, but I haven't given in. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you mean doing voiceovers? Not every video needs a voiceover. I'm not. I'm not sure what. Yeah. So what in my saying, case, I mean, you know, the train videos you're capturing an uh, an event, right? It's a thing. So this is, you know, the Railway Preservation Society of Ireland are running a certain steam train through a certain place, and the video will have certain significances, you know. So I'm not saying constantly, but every now and then. So, you know, you might just mention, well, you know, this is this steam train is 100 and whatever years old. You know, just break it up a little bit by just adding in some information. I usually just put that information in by having little text pop ups. come But apparently people don't like reading that. That's my experience. Well, I mean, that's what I do. I, for instance, uh, some of the the videos I've done, say, of the, the loons on the lake or the or the juvenile eagles, I would I'd pop in little I'll do little slides in between that's give information about where I'm at or what you're looking at. And um, I think you're right. Probably doing it as a voiceover would be a lot more effective. Uh, I just haven't given into that yet. But I, th- I think with a voiceover too, there's probably two aspects that I would look for. One is doing it in the right tone. Like yeah. you know, if, you've, if you've got a steam train, it's like, this train is 100 years old would, would be completely wrong. <laughs> You, you yeah, need I, was, I was hoping that wasn't your example <laughs> of what will be appropriate. <laughs> um, you'd kind of want a low, almost monotone delivery. But find somebody you know who's got a radio voice would be my suggestion. Because mm-hmm. my, my experience is that it takes me about... So in Final Cut Pro, you can hit the record button, record something, and then click reject. And click the record button again, and it will put it right back to where you were when you first clicked the record button. And I have, at times, done that 10, 15 times before I was like, this is not awful. Alistair, remind me to contact you later about doing some voiceover for me. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Oh, dear. I also have a good microphone. (laughs) Yes, yes, we're back to good microphones, aren't we? Actually, the same microphone you use for recording video in the field, you can use for doing voiceovers, so... It's not like you have to buy two different mics, necessarily. Actually, yeah, so a field recording microphone, would that generally be directional, Antonio? Mm, a f- a field? Say like, that again. You're field saying, so you, you buy a separate mic that's not attached to a camera, and you bring it out into the field. So what kind of microphone would you use for that? Well, I would use a, a more directional one, especially because if you're doing um, voiceovers, you'd want to sort of have it pointed at your mouth and... Yes, picking up more information from in front of the mic than the sides of the mic. So, 
that could be the same kind of microphone that you have on top of a camera, which is pretty much pointing in the direction of the lens. Gotcha. So gotcha. those two things are, you know, you could be called a shotgun mic. Um, you probably don't want to have a, what's called an omnidirectional mic because an omnidirectional mic picks up sound from all directions, hence the mm-hmm. word omni. I yeah. like sirens. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> thing is, we're slightly hearing that siren. If you had an omnidirectional mic, that siren yeah. would probably be as loud as your voice. Yeah, I, actually, the mic I'm using is used for um, electronic news gathering. It's for interviews. So the sound that it captures pretty much, um, you know, like a, almost like a three-foot sphere. That's where it picks up the most sound. But if I go off-axis like this. Yeah, you're gone. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally just an inch away from the mic. But now I'm in front of the mic. Uh, it's still not going to block out the sounds of the sirens because I'm literally right on a street. So, And those things are pretty loud. But if I had a shotgun mic, it might actually diminish them more because it would only be pointed directly at my mouth. So, um, and those the, every type of mic, excuse me, every type of mic you have has sort of a pattern of sound that it can capture. Yeah. Uh, so shotgun is pretty much a straight line ish. You know, uh, omnidirectional would be sort of like a giant sphere, um, which might be good if for certain types of things that you're filming. You might be filming a concert where you want to get you know, sound of the audience and the music uh, simultaneously. So, you know, or a birds chirping for a background. You know, right, right. Beautiful, exactly. There is a rural setting or something. Yeah, for different things. Um, so yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay, well, we're at fifty minutes, so that's a good time to ask. I've sort of been rather selfishly driving the discussion based on the things I happen to know. So. Anyone else want to chime in with something that we really, really should talk about, but I've totally forgot to bring up? Which is a terrible question to throw at the panel. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I, one thing I wanted to talk about, because everybody shoots video and everybody thinks, oh, well, I'll just hold the camera and I'll shoot video. And when you sit there and you look at video that's been shot in that way, you can get a headache fast. And what I'm talking about is Mr. Shaky Cam. Ah, yes. Uh, Mr. Shaky Cam makes his appearance so often that I really just want to... I can't even describe what I want to do to my eyes when I see Mr. Shaky Cam. Actually, the other person I really don't like is Mr. I shoot video vertically. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I had well, that one. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a losing battle. So uh, I've given up on, on that fight. And because there actually are sometimes when vertical video works, uh, where we just happen to be stuck with screens like television screens and computer screens that are horizontal – yeah. Um, but there are times that vertical video works, and I'm, I'm going to sort of, I don't know. There was a point where the video, the vertical video, was driving me crazy, and at this point, I was just like, it's the way the it's the way the phones are built, and you're not gonna, no matter what, you're not gonna tell people to be able to shoot horizontal. So we're gonna have to get over it. <laughs> and maybe oh, we need okay, vertical. I give up on that one. But you're right, Mr. Shaky Cam definitely, definitely problem. Yeah, well, Mr. Shaky Cam is in both horizontal and vertical, and it makes me insane. And I, th- I think people believe that they can hold cameras more steady than they actually can. And so what ends up happening is you end up with footage and it's most of the time too shaky to 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 really watch. And their shakiness um, can't be compensated by the stabilization that's built into a lot of cameras and lenses and phones. Um, so there are times when it's great to have the camera as steady as possible, be it a tripod or mounted some way and let the action happen in front of you instead of trying to pan back and forth with your hand holding a camera um, because you're just going to make your audience sick. Yeah. 
And I guess a related friend of Mr. Shaky Cam is Mr. Pants Too Quickly. <laughs> also not welcome. You know, because there's nothing that makes you more seasick than someone who pans the camera as quick as they would turn their head. Yeah, well, especially when your brain will actually blank that out and do a, a jump cut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure in a drama there are times when you want that sickening snap, 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 and you're doing it for artistic effect. But if you're doing a pan that you don't want to be glaring and horrible, go slower than you think you should. Do you know that there's a formula for movie making, depending on the size of the screen that the film is going to be projected on, about how fast you can pan before the audience gets sick? I did not know that, but that so the larger the screen, sense. the larger the screen, the slower the pan has to be. And there's a definitive hmm. speed that you can move the camera at before your audience uh, becomes uh, essentially motion sick. Huh. Well, I'm not sure what the formula is, but I've, I've heard that. But, you know, you're not going to watch, uh, which I heard why that movie what was a Cloverfield. Did you see I, that movie? Not one I've watched, I'm afraid. It was all done with shaky cam. It was, a, it was a monster movie supposed to be filmed in New York. Right. I think it was like five years ago or something like that. And the entire thing was done handheld. And apparently it was unwatchable. It was unwatchable to me. I, I watched it and it was just it was just too hard. It, it was fast panning and very shaky. And they were, I mean, they were doing it for effect because the people were running around and climbing over things or whatever. But it, it really made it unwatchable. Did you see it in, in my? The in my uh, I think I probably saw it on video. Yeah, I saw it on video too, and I, I couldn't watch it. And I can't imagine what that was like watching it on a you know on a sixty foot screen. I imagine I'd throw up actually. I was yeah, say, I bet the smell was the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere on the YouTube, someone used a stabilization software to stabilize that entire movie. <laughs> you can actually find it. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> It is very strange to watch that movie stabilize. It looks very not good either. So, um, yeah. So I on wanted the, to try. Oh, go ahead. Go, Alistair. Sorry. On the, the shaky cam thing, that's why I sold that video camera um, because I couldn't figure out how to deal with that. You know, again, shooting aircraft that are flying past you, even, even just out at my local airport where they're landing, so it's a very, very predictable and relatively slow path that they're following. Yeah. And what I found was because the camera was so tiny there was no weight to it i mean you know it wasn't much more than my iphone really hmm. that with the stabilization off i i couldn't stop it shaking it was just you know bouncing around all over the place and and like you said you know it's it's unwatchable but hey this thing's got optical image stabilization and enhanced digital image stabilization and all this palaver so i turned that on and that was too aggressive. And what was happening is at the start of the pan, the, the speed that I'm panning at is, I mean, the whole time it's dictated mm-hmm. by where the aircraft is in, in the sky. And so the start of the pan is slow and then it speeds up as it comes past me and slows down at the end. And at the slow pan ends, the image stabilization would stop at panning. So I'd be trying to pan yes. very subtly and it would say, oh, no, that's that's camera shake. And then... I'd think, oh, I'm not moving fast enough, so I'd move faster with the camera, and eventually the stabilizer would realize that I was panning and let me catch up, and I'd get a jump anyway. Yeah, so it's it like an elastic of, band holding you back, and then the camera goes, doing what? Yeah, so instead of getting shaky cam, I was getting, you know, bouncy, bouncy cam, <laughs> as it were. It was a lot smoother, but it was still just absolutely horrible to watch. But here's the interesting thing. 
There is uh, a company in New Zealand who film a lot of the air shows, and I think they use tripods. Now, I'm not going to say that tripods are no good either. I'm going to say that I'm no good with a tripod. I've tried it because I cannot... Maybe my tripod's not good enough to do smooth panning. I accept that. Maybe I'm not smart enough to use the indirection, I suppose it is, of my eye to the screen on the camera to translating the camera to where the thing is in the sky and and getting that whole equation right the whole time. But this is a professional outfit that sell their videos, and I'm pretty sure they use tripods. They have bouncy cam. Everything they sell has got bouncy cam. Here's a picture, or sorry, a video of an aircraft flying past, and it does not stay in the frame. Ooh. So that, this is where I believe, certainly for me, that the on-the-shoulder approach where I can use my body as a tripod is the best way. That's how I use my DSLR. I jam that thing in my face, and my body is spinning around, you know, tracking the aircraft as it's coming past. Now, I obviously only have to be correct at one moment or a few moments for that. But that video that I took with my old um, on-the-shoulder cam back in 1985 or whatever it was, was spectacular. I'm really, really um, miffed that I lost it some years ago in in a house move, I think, because it was fantastic footage of an air show uh, in 1985. And I've never been able to match it since because the equipment has just got too small, basically. So I wanted to add something about... Go ahead. I was going to just add something about tripods. What what I was saying about microphones before, Mm -hmm. uh, the more you spend on a microphone, same with tripods, uh, especially if you're doing video. The more you spend on a a tripod, the better tripod you're going to get, and you probably want to get a video tripod. This this organization you were talking about... um, Alistair, it doesn't sound like they have good gear. And because I use pretty high-end tripods, I mean, they can you can get up into the, you know, thousands of dollars. And with the smallest camera on it, it doesn't matter because they, the, the tripods used were called fluid heads. So no matter how heavy the camera is or how light it is, the tripod head that you're using to pan with uh, always has a, a constant... Um, state of movement uh, and yeah. it's not relying on the weight of the camera to create smooth movement. So, but those are very expensive. Um, and and, and Al- Antonio can't, I mean, for those of us that on a budget though, I mean, you, we could take our, the tripod that we're using for our SLR and maybe get a head that's better suited for video and swap that out. Correct. You can to some extent. Um, there are video tripods that are designed so that you can open them up in like two seconds and they're, you know, the legs are designed to just pop open and they also have what's called built-in um, level, like level bowls, um, which is basically when you put your tripod head on it, you want to have the tripod as level as possible, at least the camera as level as possible. So when you're doing pans, you don't go off into, you know, the ground, into the ground or on a, <laughs> on a weird angle. So if you take your regular photographic tripod legs and you remove the head you can get a a, a video head for them um but to, you need to get a few extra things that are uh, like i said this leveling kind of thing that you would okay. need um but yeah you can get i mean you can get a reasonably inexpensive 
uh, fluid head that you can use on on regular tripod legs. Some of those uh, of those heads are, are also balanced. Uh, like mine, if I put my camera on it and and, uh, and I pan downwards uh, with my camera to shoot sh something below, yeah, some the subject. If I let it go, it will return back to horizontally. So it's it's counterbalanced on the mm -hmm. camera. Mm -hmm. Oh, so it, it wants it really to be level. Yeah, it wants to be level. But you can you can uh, turn that on or off if you want to. But uh, yeah, if if I shoot up and I let it go, it will come back to the uh, horizontal. I guess it, it means if you're on... panning, it's also very. It's also f you're being encouraged to be perfectly level in your pans because mm. it wants to yeah. be horizontal. Yeah, it tries to stay horizontal. Yeah. Cool. But it all depends on how smooth it turns, like Ant Antonio says. From for uh, uh, the difference between a, 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 a tripod for a DSLR is that it it doesn't have to move. Uh, fluidly, hmm. you you set it and it stays that way. But for a video camera, the whole purpose is that you can move the camera very smoothly without any any shocks, any any stops in between, and, and that's a big difference in ball heads. That's true. So, Bart, the thing that I wanted to chip in, I know we're already past an hour. No, 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 I don't, don't want, worry. I, I don't want to start a whole new conversation, but sort of. What I'm learning as I'm doing the, as I'm doing videos is that a lot of the a lot of what I know about shooting stills translates over, and you need to kind of remember that. I mean, things like composition that you can you can use creative composition in your video to make the video more compelling and tell the story. Um, and you need to I mean, you need to think about those things or what your what your viewer is going to look at. But the other thing that I'm really enjoying doing is mixing the video with my stills. So uh, whether it's, you know, pictures out on the tulip field. So then I add some video or pictures at the lake. I, I do the video to sort of give you the ambience of the lake and, and what it sounds like and what it looks like, but then mix in the stills. So use that. Use your artistic creativity. Don't forget you're being a photographer, and and um, that's what I'm really enjoying is is sort of expanding and and stretching those muscles, but still remembering just the basics of photography, even when I'm doing the video. Cool. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned the multimedia aspect because that's something I'm very fond of doing as well. And something something important as well when 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 doing video is is. Uh, Shoot, shoot more than you you're planning. Shoot B-roll. Shoot, uh, for example, if I go to an event and it, lately it has been a lot of whiskey events. Shoot some bottles. Shoot the 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 uh, the entrance of the building. Shoot whatever you can, and so you can you can use that footage to to cut in between things. Some B-roll material is, is very important with video. Uh, and I'll add to that, Stefan. Uh, when you're when you're recording. Start your recording sooner than you think, and end it yep. later than you think, so that you have so that you have room to chop it off and and make nice smooth transitions. Because yep. if you you just don't have enough room, uh, if you if you stop when you think the action stopped, let let it keep rolling a little yep. bit so that you have some edit room. Yeah, because your fades, your shots, yeah, because your fades and stuff they need some actual video to go over. Your so yeah, you might want to stop yeah. the main video at a certain point, but if you want to fade to another one, you need to have room on both clips for that fate. Is... Yeah, people who are coming from the photography world often end their clips too soon. It's, it just seems to be like, you know, if you're going, if you're a photographer and you're doing film, you're shooting and then you say, okay, it's over and you stop. <laughs> it's, but so, Antonio, yeah, like... the files are so big. I mean, if I keep it running, I'm wasting space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that's at least part of it anyway. Okay, anyone want to throw in any more thoughts before we, we call it a day? Oh, man, I've got so many, but we'd have to do another recording. <laughs> well, I don't, well, in that case, how's about we say we promise that a few months from now we will do a video mark two, and in the meantime, if anyone has any questions they'd like us to address in video part two in a few months' time, they can go to lets-talk.ie forward slash photo queue, which in hindsight is not the best URL, but bear with me, and submit some questions there. Or you can go to our Google Plus community and submit some questions there. Or you can drop me an email at podcasting at bartificer.net and send your your questions there, B-A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-R.net. Uh, or you can tweet them at us, at LTPod. So basically, if you have any questions, because I, I definitely think we've like scratched the surface here, so we'll definitely do a video show number two. And so any questions you send in, then we'll help guide the discussion next time. Okay. Um, panel, thank you all very much for giving so freely of your time. Um, always appreciate that you guys do that. Uh, let's see, in reverse order, Stefan, thank you for joining us. And would you like to give the listeners some links where they can find more of what you do? Well, uh, you can find me on, on Twitter and on Facebook uh, under my name, Stefan Lesage. And if you're, uh, in, uh, you read Dutch and you're interested in technology, you can always uh, check out our uh, Tech45 podcasts, which is at tech45.eu. Yes. And theoretically, it's a 45-minute podcast, but I am a listener. And yeah. you're, you're not very good at the 45 part no, no, of no, Tech45. No. We, we, never, we never had it at 45 minutes. But you're very good at the tech stuff, so it's, it's a fun listen if you speak Dutch. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Antonio, would you like to give out some links to our listeners in case they've forgotten? Yes. Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere at amrosario. My website is amrosario.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at amrosario. And uh, spending a lot of time at switchtomanual.com doing our Switch to Manual Street Shots podcast with my partner, Tom Martinez. Uh, we just had a new episode come out, uh, interview with uh, my my friend Keith Goldstein, great sh- uh, street shooter. So, yeah, go to switchtomanual.com. Check us out there. Cool. Uh, Mark, would you like to give out any links? Sure. Uh, my uh, photography portfolio, and I have some videos there. I'll share that link with you, Bart, mm-hmm. um, so they can put it in. Twinlakesimages.com. And uh, I, you can find me on Twitter. That's where I, you know, do most of my updates and tell what I'm doing right now. And uh, I am TLI underscore Mark. Mm-hmm. That's referencing Twin Lakes Images. And I'm on Flickr, and I do not know how to find me on Flickr. It's either Switcher Mark or Mark Polly. I'm not sure which. Cool. Uh, Sorry, I've lost my window, and I can't remember who I forgot to ask. Oh, Alistair. <laughs> me over here. Uh, I'm pretty much everywhere online as ZKARJ, and the simplest place to go is the website ZKARJ.me, which I've sort of centralized most stuff on these days. And that's a Z for people who don't know what a Z is. Yes, for that one country. I can't remember who says Z and who says Z. And the, the guys over at uh, the, the My Mac podcast have me so confused, I don't know my Z from my Z anymore. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Anyway, thank you for joining us all. Um, listeners, you will find show notes with um, all the links we've talked about. I will stick together in the show notes over at lets-talk.ie. Uh, as you happen to be there, you'll find three large blue buttons that's under the heading support the show. 
please consider supporting the show. There's the Patreon approach where you basically pledge a small amount of money per episode I manage to get out. Um, there will be two of them every month, one Apple, one photography, and they'll, so you'll be billed as two. So if you'd like to give $2 a month, pledge one. If you'd like to give $10 a month, pledge five. Do you get the idea? Divide by two. Uh, and to all of you who already support the show on Patreon, you guys are absolutely the reason I can keep doing this show every month because the Patreon money goes into the hole that is the bills and the two are getting pretty darn close to balancing each other out now. So I might even be able to afford a new mic or something soon. Uh, so thank you, guys. You really do make it possible to keep the show going. And, of course, there's also a PayPal button and we have a Zazzle store where you can buy t-shirts and mugs and things which have the show logo on them so the idea is you get a thing and you are also a walking advertisement for the show which is also useful and of course reviews on itunes etc all very much welcome so i've been your host bart bushots you can find me at bart b.ie and until next time happy snapping Listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Elisa Pacelli, Suze Gilbert, Vicky Stokes, Women, Savvy, Geeks, Three Geeky Ladies, Technology from a Female Perspective.